Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. This week, we are talking with Stephen Miller about infertility and mental health. And this week, April 24th through the 30th of 2022, is actually National Infertility Awareness Week. And what that is, it was founded in 1989 by an organization called Resolve. They are the National Infertility Association. And its mission is really to empower you and to change the conversation around infertility. So the Awareness Week is really meant to, exactly what it sounds like, bring awareness to this important topic of infertility. So this topic is actually really, really common, more common than you would think, um, according to the statistics compared with how often we actually talk about it and how often we're learning about it in our social work education. So in the United States, about one in five women are unable to get pregnant after one year of trying, which is also known as infertility. One in five. That means if we have a class full of 35 students, seven of them are unable to get pregnant. That's a lot. I mean, that's that's a, a big group there. And then additionally, about one in four of the women in this group have difficulty getting pregnant or carrying pregnancy to term. So it is a really, really common problem. And the World Health Organization, you know, talks about it on a worldwide scale. And, you know, I was wondering with all of the technology that we have, what is going on here? I mean, Stephen in the episode will mention that some of the causes are unknown. So a lot of the challenges to addressing the infertility, according to the World Health Organization, is availability, access, and the quality of interventions that are available to people to address infertility. So this continues to remain a challenge in most countries. And as Stephen mentions, even in the United States, even here in the United States, some people's health insurance does not cover this. So the, you know, going on about what the World Health Organization says, that diagnosis and treatment of infertility is often not prioritized in national population or in development policies. Uh, reproductive health strategies are rarely covered through public health financing. I mean, if we don't have the money, you're not going to have the research, you're not going to have the programs, you're not going to have availability of the resource. 
Additionally, there's a lack of trained people in this industry and in this field and the necessary equipment that is needed, um, additionally with the infrastructure needed to address this problem. The, there's currently, as we all know, a high cost of treatment medicines. So all of these are major barriers, even for countries who, like the United States, have the capacity and are trying to address them, but it continues to may, remain you know, a shortcoming um, in the United States and around the world. So while they they call the technologies, you know, meant to assist people with infertility, they, they call it assisted reproduction technology. And they've been available for about three decades, which is relatively new in the field of medical, uh, you know, the medical field, right? Uh, so we still have a long way to go. And as Stephen mentioned too, you'll hear him talk about how we as social workers have not been really covering this area either, uh, which probably goes, relates back because it is a relatively new area. And it's just coming into awareness that we really do need to be talking about the mental health issues around infertility. So I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation. We're going to listen to a short ad from our sponsor, the Rise Directory, and then hop right into it with Stephen. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Rise Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Hello, welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. This is Katherine Moore. We are here with Stephen Miller talking about a subject that we have not discussed yet on the two years of the Social Workers Rise podcast. So thank you so much for uh, reaching out to me, Stephen, to be on the podcast. And with Mother's Day coming up here, it's Mother's Day season, Father's Day is quickly approaching. Uh, we just wanna make sure that we're bringing the topic of infertility you know, just out into the open to destigmatize it and talk about it. So thank you so much for being here. Can you give us a little intro about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate being able to have a conversation about this because it's something near and dear to my heart. Um, so I've been in social work since 2009, and I will honestly say that I feel like social work chose me. Um, was not my original intention. Like my original intention was I had a master's in psychology and my plan was to go on and get a PhD and then teach, you know, um, right around when the recession happened in 2008, 2009, when applied to grad schools didn't happen. So, um, so my first job was actually out in Virginia. My wife had a teaching job out there. Um, I was going to school in Michigan and doing day treatment. And she initially told me, you know, I, you know, I could see you doing well working with like some of these teenagers and I was just like, that's not even remotely close to what I want to do. Um, 
but it was either that or working at a factory cutting chickens. And I'm like, no, I don't want to cut chickens either. You know, um, so moving out there without, without a job, I would, you know, like she had a job and, and then that's where I ended up. So I ended up getting, working with a treatment with um, teenagers in like seven through 12 grades. So I did that for about a little over two and a half years. Um, we were 19 hours away from home, you know, like from where we, like we both grew up and stuff. So we ended up, I ended up moving, getting a job in Milwaukee, worked for wraparound Milwaukee. So that was more of like case management for kids and child protective services and juvenile justice um, and providing mental health services with that. And then from there, like I ended up in a county agency uh, where I currently am, you know, like I worked in crisis, doing case management and now working with um, children, families, doing long-term support. So that's kind of my social work career wise. Um, so I'm currently in, uh, in a master's of social work program at UW-Madison. And it might be interesting to think that, you know, here I've been working with child, children and youth and families since 2009 and all of the shit. Well, it was my own personal experience with, well, my wife and I's personal experience. So our experience with um, infertility and going through IVF, that kind of really opened my eyes to the live awareness and mental health support. Um, and then it was in, just in our classes, the more of the awareness of we don't talk about it you know like it's it's glanced over it's in some textbooks but then so that kind of really spiraled me like and moved me to kind of work towards more of this advocacy of creating that awareness for people that's great that's really important Stephen. um so a lot of people really aren't familiar with what exactly does it mean to be infertility in infertile or what does infertility mean exactly? Like, can you define it for us? So we're all on the yeah. same page. Yeah, so the medical definition of infertility is, um, so for anybody, for women under 35, it's trying to conceive or have, have a child for over a year. So like you have to at least try for a year. Um, and then if you're not successful, then, then that's kind of like, okay, like then we're gonna start doing fertility stuff. Uh, if they're over 35, it is six months. That you have to try. Reason being is um, as women age and even men as they age, um, like sperm quality and egg quality decline. So, um, and then we are all familiar with the biological clock for women. They you know, like it, it's you know diminished ovarian reserve. So, um, well, that's one of the reasons why they, they have a shorter time period after thirty five. So you're saying after thirty five, they say it's easy. It's supposed to be easier to get pregnant. Is that right? No, so it's harder. Harder so to get pregnant. Before okay. 35. Yeah. So before 35, it's it's usually that's the kind of the cutoff age. Um, as you get older, it's be it's more and more difficult to get pregnant. So that's why the shorter time period to be able to access, you know, fertility treatments or other avenues. Yeah, it's uh interesting because in the medical field they call it a geriatric pregnancy. Yeah. And every time I see that, I, I just think of like an old lady, but this, you know, they're 35, 38, 39 years old. I mean, I, they don't seem old to me, but in the medical field, yeah. they call it geriatric pregnancy, which is a, is a interesting tidbit, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for, for breaking that down for us. 
Um, so you mentioned that you and your wife, unfortunately had, um, a struggle with infertility. How long, how long did that go on for and, and what kind of support or services? Um, well, I guess before I ask that question, how long did it go on for? And then, you know, what was your struggle? Like, what did you see come up as far as the, the mental and emotional, um, struggles with that? Yeah. So we had, we had tried for I was about seven years. It was about seven years that we had tried. Um, and some of those years, including um, the years that we did IVF. Um, I, I think the, the biggest thing that comes to mind with, like, it's almost like the societal expectation of, you, you know, you get married, you have kids, you know, like, I mean, it's just like what that's kind of expected. And I mean, I know crime being like not marriage is not for everyone, you know, like, and that's their choice, but I, just, I think about like the phrase first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby, a baby carriage, right? I mean, it's in kind of ingrained that like, okay, you're supposed to have kids. And when that doesn't happen, it's, it's like driving into like this thick fog of like, okay, what my world doesn't make any sense anymore. You know, like it's, you know, and especially for, for male factors. So for, for our case, like it, it was both, like we both had issues. So like I had male infertility and then she had diminished ovarian reserve. So I mean, like her, you know, so I was smaller and it's typically not, it's typically known as a woman's issue. And it really is about 30, 40% of the time. It's so it's from the male factor. Um, you know, and about 30, 40% of it is for female, but then there's a portion of it, like 20% that's unexplained, which is crazy to me. You think about like, we have all this medical stuff, but like, and this is unexplained, like we don't, we don't know why. Um, the hard thing is just like seeing everybody else, right? I mean, seeing everybody else in your age group, you know, your friends, your family, cousin, you know, like seeing them, you know, have the thing that you want like and it's that it's that ambivalence between i'm really happy for what you guys have and like you you know because you don't wish really about anybody really but it's that grief and loss you know like of like what my thought my life was supposed to be like and you know it's perspective grief and i think that's something that's hard for people to understand is you know we think about grief we think about somebody that is you know elderly or an old age and you know, I passes away from natural causes. And then we have the funeral, like, you know, like, it's just like, we have the image, but then when it's something that's kind of invisible, like it's hard to understand. Cause I think people think like, okay, well, how, how are you grieving something you never had? But right. it's like the, yeah. Yeah. And, and working in hospice, I understand the grief aspects, you know, pretty well from a professional standpoint that, yeah, you're grieving the loss of of your dreams, of your plans, of the way that you wanted your life to go. You know, a lot of times people have these set timelines, which may or may not be realistic, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, we go to college and then we find a spouse. And then by the time that we're 30 or for, you know, 35, we want to have a kid. And for women, we, we do hear that ticking clock a lot. And then when you're out with your spouse or your partner, whoever it might be, um, 
there's always those questions about, oh, when are you guys having one? Or why haven't you have a baby yet? Or do you, do you even want kids? Um, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And um, which I, being in the field now, I find completely inappropriate questions because they could be very triggering. You don't know what's going on with the person. If it's person, you know, physical health, mental health, financial health, all of the above, you know, yeah. it's, it's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And, and you're right. That society has really groomed us to, to follow that traditional path. And a lot of times we're raised to where we just believe that is who we are and what we're meant to do. Um, I know that the conversations are changing and there's beliefs, you know, all sorts of different beliefs, but specifically around people who, who are really wanting that child and, and that, um, that gift. So yeah, really, um, really important. What do you, what were the emotions that you remember feeling you and your so wife? I don't, so I don't like as it'd be, it, it was a, for her, like it was a monthly reminder. Yeah. You know, like, you know, every time that it didn't work, it was a monthly reminder. Yeah. You know, like, um, feeling inadequate, you know, like why, like body betrayal, you know, like my body's supposed to naturally do this, you know, like why, why is it not working? You know, like, why is it not working? Like I wanted to, and you know, I felt more of this at the same way as well. You know, the body stuff is like, my body's supposed to be, you know, like this is supposed to be a natural thing. Like, why is this not happening? You know, feeling inadequate, um, almost like being like, almost like a martyr, like saying like, I know my wife really wants to have a family and a child. Like if that's not with me, like you can divorce me and you can have, you know, find somebody that can, you know, like, and there was a lot of guilt um, with that. I mean, and I felt like through that guilt, you know, it's now we go in problem solving mode, you know, like, and that guilt dr drove that, you know, like that, you know, that I need to fix this. Yeah, you know, like whatever way it can, whether that's calling somebody or doing this or that, it was always like it was usually based off of guilt and stuff. So, um, ironically enough, like we like when people were pregnant, we we both reacted differently. So, she would get really distressed by like pregnancy announcements. You know, like Mother's Day is always hard. You know, like uh father's day was hard you know like i mean there's different like there's different things like first day of school pictures right you know like uh halloween i mean like anything with basically that's really kids you know like it was difficult um her biggest struggles announcements my biggest struggle honestly was with you know like when the when the actual child finally came because to me in my mind it wasn't like it wasn't real yet it, like at that when the physical baby was there then that's i struggled the most with that um, the interesting thing is, though, is there was research in 1993, which I know was a while ago, but it was really profound research by Alice Domar, who's a one is the lead psychologist at Boston IVF, and it was Alice Domar is our Meister Friedman, and they compared psychological distress with infertility, cancer, HIV, and then like cardiac arrest, you know, like heart attack and kind of stuff like that. Um, so diagnoses of that. And what they had found was the psychological stress, distress between cancer and infertility, there's no significant differences, meaning that the psychological stress is just as distressing as receiving a cancer diagnosis compared to infertility. 
Wow. That's a really good way to put it in perspective because a lot of times we, we have experience or we're more open about talking about cancer diagnoses and we know how difficult and, and heartbreaking that diagnosis can be. So it, it really helps to put that in perspective. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you're enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to this ad from our sponsor. So I'm wondering, you know, during this whole journey, seven years, it's a long time, what kind of mental health support, or I guess support in general resources were offered to you while you were going to the medical clinics and, and just kind of, you know, going through this experience? So in Wisconsin, so our story is a little different because like we ended up doing a fertility clinic in Missouri. Um, it was exactly five hours drive for us. Um, so we drive five hours, do a half hour appointment, eat lunch, fill up a gas and drive five hours back. I mean, we did that for almost a year. Um, and it, at that time it was pre-COVID. So telehealth wasn't an option. Support groups weren't an option. You know, like they were either Madison or Milwaukee, you know, we're in between, we're like an hour each direction, you know, like to go to that. So, but in the entire state alone, like there's only five people like in the state that really specialize in fertility. It's two in Madison, two in Milwaukee and one in Appleton. I'm like, you know, the hard, the hard thing is, it's like, there's so few people understanding and awareness of this that it's just, it's not accessible. You know, it is a little bit more accessible now with the silver lining of the pandemic, you know, telehealth is now a, a good option, but the resolve, the resolve has great virtual support groups. There's some for men, there's couples or one specific for, for women. Um, and there's great counselor, you know, like that specialize in it. It's just, there's few, you know? So for us, like it was, it was hard to, cause like right in the middle of IVF, if we were traveling five hours to go to a clinic and try, you know, and then driving an hour to go into a, it's you know, like it just wasn't feasible at the time now a virtual like it would have been feasible like it would have been feasible for us to like go through IVF okay now we can be at home we can do a virtual support group and great you know like we get the support um yeah so it really doesn't sound like there was any support available for you guys um it sounds like now there are support groups you know with your with your training combined with your experience what do you think people need that are in the situation? What would you suggest if you were, say you were to design your own program, what do you think that people would need? I mean, I would like to you know, like increase fertility awareness, first of all, you know, like, because there's so many, how many times do we growing up, sex not telling you no, ways not to get pregnant, right? You can have sex once and you're going to get pregnant. Yeah, like they just have that. And then we don't do anything with that information about okay, what about the people when they do want to start building their families? Yeah, you know, like what like what are some things that they can do? What are their options if they're struggled? You know, like even where I currently work, there's you know there's younger you know there's a good mix between twenty and maybe forty years. Old. You know, some of the younger people coming in don't even know what IVF is. You know, but it doesn't surprise me because we don't talk about it, right? I mean, like we don't talk about it in classes, like and it's not on their radar, right? I mean, like they're so career focused, you know, which is what we all are, which, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but like, that's where their mind is and they're not even thinking about it, but they also have this fallacy that like getting pregnant is easy. 
And for some it is, but it's not for everyone, you know? Right. And, so, so it sounds like first we need to increase the awareness. Um, what other services do you think would benefit people in this situation? So groups are a great thing. Like group therapy, maybe that is honestly like a way to connect with others that have experienced this, you know, like or have similar experiences. I mean, everybody's story is different, you know, in, in various ways, but groups, you know, like and even just individual counseling and stuff, you know, I feel like are very great tools, you know, like uh, to use. Um, the one thing I've noticed is like a lot of times the coping skills that you have, like people have used, you know, historically, like growing up and through their adult, like when infertility hits, like some of those coping strategies don't work anymore. Right. Um, the one thing I will say is like, I had listened to, this is my ADHD and I do apologize, but like, this is where my, my mind's going, but, and wanted to cover this, but I had listened to a podcast and I didn't realize Mother's Day was a different day in the UK and Ireland in different places, but it was, I think the end of March was their Mother's Day. And I listened to a podcast by these two women in Ireland that are doing social work over there. And it was really powerful because they talk about Mother's Day and how the view of what Mother's Day is like, and when your Mother's Day's experience is not the same as what the majority people feel like it's disenfranchised grief. You know, like my story does not look like that. And that could even be like for people that have lost a mother or you're like, but infertility, like I just remember being at church services, right? Where they're like, okay, all the, all the mothers stand up, right? And it's just like, there's another reminder. And I know a lot of churches have gone away with that and have recognized that infertility is an issue. Like it's a tough day. We don't, and like, and they recognize every kind of, you know, like, but it's like that disenfranchised grief. Yeah. Like that. It doesn't, this is not a great day for everyone. Right. Right. Definitely. And that's a good point that um, we really need to be just aware and acknowledge that there are different kinds of mothers out there. There's people who are, who want to be, who maybe were once a mother. Um, oh. and, and that's another topic too is, and that kind of uh, couples with infertility is once you do get pregnant, you know, keep care, being able to carry the baby to full term or to, to a healthy delivery to where it's able to survive um, do you, did you, do you have an, I don't see, I don't even know how to ask the question. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like for us, like we did have, we did one transfer, didn't work. And the first one, which we knew at the time, like historically is it, the odds of it working the first time is small, you know, like it does happen, but it not very often. But even regardless, you know, like we did transfer, like that hope, right? I mean, that hope is there. It's like, okay, I hope that this the first one just works, you know, like if we can just, you know, be, you know, like pregnant and like get our, you know, have our dream, right? And when I remember, like, I went to go get gas, I got a phone call from my wife, just in tears, you know, like just really just, it didn't work. And my heart sunk. And I just, at that point, I just, I just stopped caring, you know, like, and, it was hard, like even being at work, I had no motivation. I was just done, you know, like, and we gave ourselves like a few weeks to kind of grieve that. And 
I decided afterwards, you know, to do this other test that my wife wanted to do. And I was like, well, what's, what's on our test? You know, like, let's do it, you know. And, and then we did our transfer in March and that was successful. And the interesting thing, and I think most people would think that like, okay, you were pregnant, you probably were elated. Yes, it totally, like I was elated, like I was happy. But we're both kind of in shock because like we've been like, nope, 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 for seven years. And then, okay, it happened. What do we do now? It's like, we didn't know what to do now. You know, like, it's just like, it was just like, huh, this kind of thing. But then like the anxiety of like, like you said, like being able to carry it to term, you know, like, and um, is there going to be complications? Twins, you know, like there's different complications that could occur and anxiety, you know, and, you know, the ultrasounds and all that stuff. And, you know, from a male, like, I think, you know, like, IV, like IVF, like, is, is hard to, to view my wife. Like, and, like, my part of IVF is nothing compared to what my wife had done, right? I mean, like, she had to do all the shots, you know, like, she had to be put under for egg retrievals, you know, like, and she had, you know, to carry the pregnancy. I mean, like, she has, had done so much. And for me, as a male with male factor infertility, like, felt so guilty of, you know, like this, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is because of me that she has to do all this, you know, and not, you know, like, and it was, it, we both had issues, but it was almost like my issue was more of a factor, right? It took all more ownership of it. Yeah. That's a, and that's that, a heavy weight to carry. Yeah. Yeah. That's really and, heavy. And the crazy thing is, is like, and I think there's this perception that like, it's not as common as it is, but in reality, in the United States, one in eight couples struggle with infertility, which really equates to 7.3 million people in the United States. That's a lot. And everywhere, and it's just think about like how many people do we know have had experience like with miscarriage, infertility, like or even surrogacy? Yeah, you know, like it just seemed like everywhere you talk, right? It's like, oh, it's like I know somebody, I know somebody did that, or I had infertility, like. I was a surrogate, you know, it's just, we have these little pockets and silos, like, uh, but, you know, like Brene Brown, right? I mean, love her, right? And talks about, right, how we reduce shame, right? Shame is stigma, like, we reduce shame and stigma by normalizing the situation. And we do that through conversation. So, like, these little silos, right, are not going to cut it. Yeah, like, we need to reduce the stigma, you know, and I feel like as social workers, we have the ability to open those doors of conversation. Because even within like counseling and mental health, you know, that's been more of my realm of things. When you do an intake, they don't even ask about infertility. No, not they don't ask, No, they don't ask about like, have you had experience of miscarriage? You know, like, have you had any reproductive trauma? Like birth trauma, you know, like, we don't talk about it. So it's like, we're almost like re-stigmatizing it. It's just like, oh, you shouldn't talk about that because my therapist, you know, like we, like I said, we have an opportunity and like, it's a newer field. Like reproductive medicine has only been around since like 1980. So when you think about other realm, you know, like I mean, Jane Adams has been doing it since, you know, like how long ago, right? Right. You know, when she started, like, you first going to think, but this is a newer field. And I think it's only going to be utilized more, you know, especially when people start having, you know, their first child later in age. Because I had looked at some research and in 20, I think it was 2019, the average age of the mother for their first child was 29. And then in, in 1970 was 21. Wow. Yeah. I so believe even, 
So even in that cat, right? I mean, like that's so like when people have older and older age, right? It's going to be more of a common thing, you know, like okay. and people should know their options and stuff. And we need to normalize it because it's it's going to it's going to continue to be an issue. Yes, yeah, for sure. And it's a tough topic to to talk about. You know, it um we never want to hear about people losing babies and it's really yeah. tough. Um, I'm even nervous to ask you. Did it, did it, did your baby make it to term that first time that you, that yeah. you, so oh, we, good. My, oh, yeah, yeah. Relieved. Okay. yeah, yeah, no, so I'll be like, like a second, like a second transfer worked, um, there were some scary spots though, I, I will tell you that there were some scary spots in there, um, there was a time, I think there were seven, when there were seven weeks, you know, like, I was at work, my wife was at work, you know, like, she went to the bathroom, also blood gushing. And we're just like, and she's freaking, I'm like, okay, I like, I don't want to jump to conclusions. I don't want to like, I just, I'm just like, let's just, I'm going to wait and see what the doctor says. I like, I just kept telling us, let's wait to see what the doctor says. We both left, you know, work, whatever, went to the doctor and she, she thought for sure they were gone and nope, still there. Good. We're both still there until heartbeats and stuff. So, and now, yeah, now my boys are three, you know, like three and wow. a half years old. Um, they're giving me a run for my money. I mean, they're a lot of energy. They're, they're honestly wonderful boys, but yeah, um, it wouldn't change it. Yeah, but, that's that's amazing. I know, yeah. um, you know, part of, or I think the hardest conversations and the hardest patients I ever have to talk to are parents who have lost a child. Yeah. Um, because there's there's no, there's nothing to do or say, or no matter what, no, no matter what, there's just nothing that's going to make them feel better in that moment, um, which really isn't the goal, you know, of our visit, I guess, the right. visit to, would be to just let them know that there is support and there is help, um, but it just feels so unnatural. Like you said before, you yeah. know, most most of the time when we think of grief, we think of losing an older relative. And while yes, that is extremely difficult, it is much easier to come to an acceptance of, okay, well, they lived their life. They had this illness, you know, it, it, it's, it's easier, not easy, but yeah. easier to accept. Um, but with a baby, there's just no, no reason like you said, sometimes yeah. we just don't know what happens and it can make it really hard to cope with it. And it's a, it's a, you're at high risk for complicated grief because you have that guilt part of you. Was it something that I did? Was there something I could have done differently? Did I do something wrong? Did I kill my baby? And it's just, you know, such a hard, hard place to be in. And there really is no ritual for it. Right. I mean, we think about like people that have, you know, die at an old, like an older age, like there's, you know, like there is a ritual, right? I mean, like, and people have like either open or closed cap, I mean, like there's things that you do like to kind of like go through that. And like when it's a miscarriage, you know, like there's really no ritual. I know like some countries from, so um, part of the mental health professional group through the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And at the conference that I went in Baltimore last year, so um, 2021. And I remember like talking to some of the other mental health professionals and they were talking about how in Japan, 
they have this tree where it's where like anybody that has like suffered miscarriage, you know, like was able to put a ribbon on a tree to commemorate, you know, like their child and stuff. So like they have this tree that is basically just ribbons of, you know, like and just to spread that awareness and like and then it was something that was like a ritual, right? If you have miscarriage, you put a ribbon on the tree, you know, like um, we don't really have that in the United States. You know, yeah. like I mean we should, you know, like we should find something, you know, to do. But um I just thought it was a very beautiful way of like remembering that. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful and it's it's a public awareness and, and reminder. Um, I know at our hospital, we will do, we have a little memory box that will give the parents with, um, if they had any clothes that the baby was wearing, um, they'll, they can, um, they'll swaddle it and they could take pictures if you like. Um, and, and then of course we encourage them to name the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, you know, because, because it's real, you know, like you yeah. said, you know, at first you're grieving something that's, that's not like real that you can't touch it. But then when your baby is there and depending on how long you're, you know, it was able to, to stay with the mother, um, you know, you can hold it and, and it's real and yeah. it's, it's a little, little human soul, um, that didn't get to live, but it's still worth, you know, worth memorializing and and remembering and and talking about um and then the added dimension is when people who have lost a baby have children at home how do we talk to the children about it absolutely and uh most recent my most recent family they asked me you know should we should we just ignore it? Should we just stuff it under the rug and not talk about it? And I said, no, don't do that. <laughs> do absolutely right. do not do that. Um, and I am not a grief expert by any means, but I know the basics. And I told the family, you know, their families were young children. So um, when their children, what, like three, four and then older, they know what's going on. And they yeah. have some sort of understanding. So it's just important to, to talk about it and to answer their questions and to really help them process it. And children will process it in different ways. So they'll be, um, they'll be, there'll be time delays, I guess you will. So once yeah. you tell them like, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's sad. And then they might go on playing for a little bit. And then maybe at dinner time they'll come back and have questions because it takes them a little bit of time to process it. And then, and then it's also important to help them identify those emotions that are connected with what's going on um, just to reduce the the chance of any kind of complicated grief or, or traumatic responses. So um, I don't know, do you have anything to add about how to talk to children about, you know, and like a miscarriage or, or that kind of grief? I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, like, it needs to be talked about, you know, in a way that they understand. Um, yeah, I mean, the, our, the other hard thing to think about is, like, when you have secondary infertility and you see the struggles and you're like, and I just, I, I know I hear, you hear people say, like, well, you have a child, like, why, you know, like, you just have to get that. And that's really disheartening, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I mean, I think just being able to normalize that conversation, I mean, about, like, what, like, and it's really grief, you know, normalizing that grief happens, you know, like in life. Um, 
Yeah, because you, you don't want to put that down. You know, you want to keep that stuff away and because that just eats at you like in it later on. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So but, so I have a I have a question for you though. Okay. So I'm always intrigued by this. When did you first learn that infertility was a thing? Like that it, it happens to people. Like when did you first learn that? I think that would have been maybe in my teens, but I think I would have really been aware of it in my early twenties because I would have known people who maybe got married or who, you know, were trying or the conversation was out there, um, especially with social media, um, at that time, you know, that was, I was a long time ago. So we had Facebook, (laughs) that was about it. Um, but you know, you connected with a lot more people. And so you, you were able to see those types of conversations, you know, happening a little bit, but yeah, that's when it, I would say first came on my radar. Okay. But it's usually, usually what happens is it's either, you know, somebody or you get diagnosed with it. You know, like that's usually how it happens. It's not, like I said, in school, like, yeah. It's just, it's so, it's so prevalent, you know, like, and even with, with miscarriage, one in four pregnancies, at least in the United States, like end in miscarriage, wow. right? That's a big percentage. That so is. it happens to a lot of people. And my thing is, is like, if we're wanting future clinicians, you know, like, or current clinicians, right? If we're, if we're wanting them to be able to help people that are struggling with infertility or miscarriage or trauma, right? How are we supposed to expect them to support them if we're not talking about the issues. Yeah. So that is my my last question for you is how do we support one of our clients who might be struggling with infertility? I mean, if if they're coming to your door, I mean, open up the conversation. I mean, and let them know it's a safe space to talk about because when you look at most clinicians web, you know, like their websites or bios, right? It talks about like grief, depression, anxiety, which are all intertwined right i mean it's it infertility is a true biopsychosocial right i mean in social work right it's all intertwined that but like somebody that's not in the mental health field may not see that as this is okay they have grief depression anxiety like they must know you know like what infertility is um i you're just opening that door it'd be willing to learn you know because really i mean it's okay not to have the answers, but sometimes it's just like helping them figure out like, how do I navigate this? Yeah. You know, um, are, are there any kind of resources or trainings or anything that you know of or a book that we could read in case someone just wants to be more educated on the topic? Yeah, there is a lot. I mean, Resolve is great. So they are the na- national nonprofit for infertility. Um, the 24th through the 30th, which I'm sure like this is going to be done in May, up May, but um, is National Infertility Awareness Week. That there's a plethora of information on there, um, of talks, of just videos, I mean, and just really getting at social media. They do just such an excellent job. And they do a lot of advocacy for the legal side of things because right now, 19, we have 19 states, which is an improvement, you know, like that have mandated coverage um california be one of them so yeah (laughs) so um but if they about with including meds the average the average cost for ivf is thirty eight thousand dollars 
And yeah. I had it actually, I had just read yesterday an article about there was a, a social worker in Minnesota that was working full time. They were doing IVF and they ran out of money. You know, like they couldn't, they couldn't do anymore. They weren't successful. They didn't give up. Right. So she took out a second full-time job because the full-time job at this warehouse offered fertility benefits. She worked 80 hours a week for three weeks. And then was like, is this not sustainable? I can't do this. You know, like, and ended up quitting, but she purchased Cobra and it was cheaper to pay for Cobra than it was for IVF to pay for out-of-pocket. So in a way... Cobra the, listeners, Cobra is the health insurance um, that you get when you're unemployed, I believe. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Or if you are resigned from position or you know, get let go. But um, so for them, it worked and they did one more psycho and it worked, you know, which is great for them. But you shouldn't have to work 80 hours a week to get coverage. You know, like, I mean, that's the really, I mean, the, the thing is like, this is such a medical thing. Like, why is it that? You know, like they will test and let you know that, hey, you have infertility, but we're not going to treat it. Oh, it's, it's just like, what is that's like saying like, yep, you're diabetic and eh, we're not going to give you insulin. Yeah. Oh it, it's God. just like, to me, it's like, it's such a battle and I don't know why, why that's such a battle, you know, like, um, but it just highlights, you know, like people are, it, it affects so much, you know, like, and even more than just the individual level. You know, I think about foster care and adoption, right? I mean, adoptive parents are 10 times as likely to be on through fertility treatments. And foster parents, the reason, one of their motivations or like 39% of foster parents, their, their motivation to do foster care was infertility. Wow. So it's just, it's directly linked to foster care parents. Right. Oh my gosh. Yep. Adopted parents, like, in the, but it's just like, let's take that diver deep, you know, not saying like that, oh, if infertility, they're going to be horrible parents. No, it's just understand them, like understand that journey for them, because that really sometimes makes an impact like their parenting, right? I mean, like, um, and understanding why, like they may parent a certain way, you right. know, like. Yeah, that so. makes sense. Okay. Well, awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Stephen. Where can people find you and connect with you if they have any questions or want to learn more? So I'm on um, LinkedIn. Um, pretty, pretty on that a lot. So um, pretty active. And then I started an Instagram page. So um, SJ Miller 2024. Um, those are pretty much the two primary ones. Um, you can message me on either one of those and be more than happy to get more information and connect. Okay. I'm also also willing to talk, give talks or do more podcasts too. You know, like I just, anyway, I, I enjoy having conversations like this and being able to spread awareness. Yeah. So if there's any opportunity listener for you to hit up Steven to learn more about infertility, um, let him know he's open for talks and trainings. He would love to, uh, to help you guys out. Thank you so much, Stephen. It was great talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this important episode on infertility and mental health. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, 
National Infertility Awareness Week is April 24th through the 30th of 2022. If you would like to help us raise awareness around this very important and sensitive topic, then go ahead and take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your social media pages, tag me at Social Workers Rise so we can all make a difference together. You really do have the power to help someone, to be that listening ear for for them uh, because they may be suffering alone in silence. And this episode may be one thing that you can do right now to help them feel less alone. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You'll have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.